split brain. This is the title given to the research into whether each hemisphere of the brain can learn independently from the other. A neurologic highway mending the two hemispheres called the corpus callosum was long believed to be a communication pathway that ultimately links the two sides together, making a cognitive individual known as you. Many experiments were trialed in order to essentially temporarily shut down or put to sleep one hemisphere of the brain, while directly studying responses to different stimuli in the other hemisphere. Michael Gazzaniga is well known as one of the leading researchers in the field of cognitive neuroscience and has spearheaded many branches of such studies, unsurprisingly, one of these being split brain. In his early studies at the California Institute of Technology, Gazzaniga worked with rabbits using a procedure in which he injected an anesthetic into the left or right carotid artery, which is the artery that is responsible for supplying blood to the left or right hemisphere of the brain via the heart. This essentially induced sleep in one side of the brain, while leaving the other half awake. In order to ensure neurological awareness, Gazanica equipped a piece of machinery, commonly known as an EEG, to his rabbit subject. And by teaching the rabbit to blink when hearing a specific sound, this test was finally ready. Long story short, this propelled Gazaniga and his mentor Dr. Roger Sperry into many different experiments that eventually led to surgically separating the hemispheres of living human subjects, leading to a massive explosion of incredible knowledge about our consciousness. Or I'm sorry, both of our consciousnesses. You heard me right, travelers. Essentially, there are two of you. One in the left hemisphere of your brain that we all are aware of, this is what we know as us, or you, or me. This is the side that is responsible for conversation and other tasks that we rely on every day. And then there's the one on the right hemisphere of your brain. Now that is, and has been muted, blocked, and hidden away for your entire life. You don't believe me? Good. <laughs> well, let me help change your mind. And welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole. Welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole, everybody. I am your host, Jeremy, and today we'll be diving deep within ourselves to try to find out whether we share space within our minds with a second consciousness that we have never met. Split brain research has been a touchy subject for many within the realm of neuroscience for the better part of a century, and two parties have emerged with different beliefs on the subject. One that believes that we have not just one consciousness, but two. And with the trials and research that we will soon dive into, you may just join them in that belief. The other party feels the opposite. They feel that there is but only one consciousness within ourselves. Now before we dive down that rabbit hole, let's first start off with the question, what exactly is consciousness? The Oxford Living Dictionary defines consciousness as the quote, the state being aware of and responsive to one's surroundings, quote, a person's awareness or perception of something, and quote, the fact of awareness by the mind of itself and the world. In other words, it is the ability to experience and feel. It is said that the consciousness can be broken down into three different elements of experience, perception, ideas, and emotion. Consciousness is also considered to be a purely natural or biological phenomenon. Now, in the 1940s, a group of patients were the first to undergo a surgery that would sever a large group of nerves that connected the left and right hemisphere of the brain called the corpus callosum. The neurosurgeon in charge of that procedure was a man by the name of William P. Van Wagenen. 
Dr. Van Wagenen was driven to conduct such surgeries due to a realization that one of his epileptic patients was found to have a tumor on his corpus callosum and his seizing events drastically declined. The good doctor would go on to gather 26 willing severe epilepsy patients to test the sectioning of the corpus callosum. This would theoretically remove the brain's electrical impulses across the hemispheres that was now believed to elicit their seizures. Post-treatment of these patients by the neurologist Andrew J. Acolytus revealed that their number of seizure events were drastically reduced without any noticeable behavior or cognitive changes. This was an incredible find that stayed in medical literature for many years following the surgeries, and the procedure would eventually be given the title of a commissarotomy. Now, in Michael Gizanica's book, Tales from Both Sides of the Brain, he highlights his early years in the 60s as a graduate student at Caltech when he was given the chance to perform post-care experiments that he developed in his senior year at Dartmouth on a man by the name of Bill Jenkins that he simply refers to as W.J. in his reports, so that is how I'll refer to him as well. It was his responsibility to assess the psychological and neurological changes in W.J., and it was his belief that he was simply going to confirm the findings of Van Wagenen and Acolytus, in which they published that their patients saw zero effects from the surgeries other than the reduction of epilepsy episodes. Now, as a note, before we go any further, with the groundbreaking experiments uh, with W.J. by Kazanica and Sperry, I feel that it is important to explain a little bit about the brain itself and what we know about the two hemispheres. In the 19th century, French physicians Marc Dax and Paul Broca discovered that the location of the brain used for speech is located in the left hemisphere. There are many things that the two hemispheres do differently. A few of the differences are that the left hemisphere, along with speech, is responsible for tasks such as reading, writing, listening, math, computations, analyzing information, time awareness, sequence understanding, logic, reasoning, and controls the right side of the body. The right hemisphere, however, is nonverbal but it is responsible for organizing information, looking for context, deciphering spatial information, visual understanding, facial recognition, emotion, imagination, motion detection, and controls, of course, the left side. It is thanks to the corpus callosum that the two hemispheres are able to communicate and share such information, which leads to you being able to do all the tasks I listed above and more. For the topic of Gazaniga's initial experiments, I find it extremely important to understand that the right side of the brain controls the left side of the body, including the eye, and the signals it sends to the brain, and vice versa for the right hemisphere. Now that we got that out of the way. Gazaniga's initial test that he developed and used to test WJ consisted of a few simple visual obstacles. A screen was placed in front of WJ at a close distance. On the screen, Gazaniga placed a small dot and told WJ to focus on the dot. For only 100 milliseconds, a square flashed on the screen to the right of the dot, signaling the left side of the brain. When asked what he saw, W.J. replied with nothing. Uh, I saw nothing. Xanaga was shocked at the answer and was very excited when it was time to move on to the second test. This time, W.J. would stare at the same dot at the same distance and random dots would appear in random places on the screen. His task was to simply point to the dots as they appeared with any hand that he felt fit to do the task. When the experiment was completed, Gazanigo was even more surprised to find that when the random dots appeared on the right side of the screen, the right hand, controlled by the left hemisphere, pointing to the dots, and the same went for the left side and the left hand. Okay, so this meant something astronomical to Gazanigo. This meant that the right hemisphere was seeing the left side of the screen, and without the prompt of moving the hand to point at the object with the first experiment, 
with a square, the right side had no way to communicate that it was seeing a square. Remember, the right hemisphere is not verbal. But when you give the right side a tool to communicate with, such as uh, a finger, to point with, it's clear that it does in fact see and deciphers the info in front of the left eye. Now I have to tease you all here, and trust me, this gets way better. I'm going to stop here with Gazanaga and his experiments with WJ, and we are going to first dive into a little bit of history and, and why Gazanica was so interested in conducting these tests on human subjects, eventually disproving Van Wagenen and Acolytus's quote-unquote medical facts that he now believes may be false. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To be clear, experimentations in the field of split brains did not start with Gazanica. In the 1950s, a man by the name of Ronald Myers, who was working on his MD and PhD at the University of Chicago, began a similar project on optics in reference to a cat's brain. Cat's brains are wired slightly different than ours. Visual signals from both eyes are given to both hemispheres of a cat's brain simultaneously by way of having the signals blend together in a section under the brain called the optic chasm. Myers' goal was to sever this chasm in order to eliminate the ability for the two hemispheres to both see inputted information from both eyes. By doing this, he would create a brain that works more similarly to that of a human's, but instead of the eyes crossing hemispheres with their information, they would just go directly to their side's hemisphere meaning left eye, left hemisphere, right eye, right hemisphere. And by creating a brain that works similar to that of humans, Myers would then be able to prove that a prediction of his, that the corpus callosum was the driving influence of information sharing between hemispheres of the brain. Why would he do that, you ask? Well, back then, there were two major parties of neurologists that believed two separate facts about the corpus callosum. One believed that it was the informational highway between the two hemispheres of the brain. Talk about that one. And the other led by a man by the name of Carl Lashley, who believed that it was a structural part of the brain that prevented the hemispheres from drooping. Myers planned to give the cat with a severed chasm a problem that if the cat reacted normally, that would mean that the information from one eye was being processed correctly and the same with the other. Only now, with the chasm severed, he was certain that only one eye was correlated with one side of the brain. The next step was to sever the corpus callosum and prove that the cat would act abnormally to the exact same problem. This would prove that the corpus callosum was indeed the informational highway between the two hemispheres and not a structural support. Myers went on to conduct a surgery on a cat's optic chasm through the roof of its mouth, and the science of physiological psychology was never the same. Dr. Joseph E. Bogan was the first neurosurgeon post Van Wagenen surgeries to perform a complete severance of the corpus callosum after performing practice runs on multiple corpses at his hospital's morgue in the summer of 1960. His first patient to receive a full sectioning of the corpus callosum was a man with a life-threatening epileptic condition by the name of Bill Jenkins, whom we know as WJ. So, now that we're all caught up on the brief history lesson, let's jump back into the WJ trials. 
Now that the initial tests with visual stimulations targeting the individual sides of the brain were done, and some very exciting discoveries were made, it was now time to dive deeper into what this actually meant. So the next step was to begin trials on other senses, and what they landed on was tackling the sense of touch first. Now, it is important to understand that informational signals travel to the brain and its hemisphere slightly different with a sense of touch than it does with eyesight. Details such as weight, size, shape, texture travel to the hands-associated side of the brain, just like in signals of sight, left hand, right hemisphere, and right hand, left hemisphere. But the simple knowledge that there is something in either of your hands goes to both hemispheres. This, of course, made this particular set of trials difficult to plan and conduct. So Gazanaga started off simple. W.J. was blindfolded and given a simple object in his right hand. When asked what it was, W.J. would correctly state what was in his hand. But when the exact same object was swapped to the left hand later on, W.J. confirmed that there was something in his hand, but he had no idea what it was. The object was a key. Now, this confirmed the original visual test with the squares. The right side of the brain had no way of telling the verbal side of the brain what it was feeling in his hand. But Xanaga noticed something remarkable. WJ exhibited habits that could be perceived as an attempt to communicate when the key was in WJ's left hand. His fingernail followed the grooves of the teeth on the key, slid his finger through the key ring, and dropped the key, which left the key dangling below his finger. And before WJ placed the key down, his hand held the key correctly, as if he was attempting to use it on a lock. When Gazanica asked WJ what he was doing with his left hand, WJ answered that he wasn't doing anything at all, just doing whatever it was. According to one source, a second trial was then done in response to this. Gazanica would visit WJ at his house often and bring various tests that narrowed down the capacities of the different hemispheres post callosum severance, but one particular test stood out when I was doing my research. Trust me, if I went over all of them, this presentation would never end. In this particular trial, WJ was presented with large wooden blocks that were shaped sort of like Legos. Some had three pegs on the top and three holes on the bottom. Some had four, some had one, and etc. Kazaniga went on to blindfold his subject and place one of these blocks in WJ's right hand. The task was to be given five seconds with the block. Take it away mix it into a pile of other blocks, and time how long it took for the subject to find the block again without visual input. The right hand did very well. Out of six blocks, WJ was able to find the block that was previously in his hand in only about 12 seconds on average. Surprisingly, the left hand did better by an average of almost three seconds with the exact same task. Of course, this was repeated multiple times with varying time results and both sides winning their fair share of trials, but the absolute most amazing discovery was found during the first trial with his left hand when WJ claimed to not be able to find the block that he was asked to find. He claimed to have no idea what he could do to find something he didn't know anything about. WJ grew angry, but after only about nine seconds, he was holding the correct block in his hand while actively complaining that this was a waste of time. In one monumental trial, Gazaniga sat WJ down and placed a set of Coe's blocks, which is a sort of simple block puzzle, in front of both his left hand and his right hand. 
In my best description, Cove's blocks are a set of blocks with two sides painted one color, two other sides painted another color, and the remaining two sides are painted half the first color and half the second color. These colors are typically white and red, but have been produced in almost every combination. The trial began with Gazaniga arranging a pattern using four Coe's blocks in a two block by two block formation. This was an incredibly simple pattern and was meant to be the beginning of the trial. There was no blindfold and no restrictions on either hand. To his surprise, WJ's left hand was able to recreate the pattern that Gazaniga had created almost instantly. While the right hand had incredible difficulty with this seemingly simple task. Over and over again, this played out almost exactly the same. The right hand, which is powered by the left hemisphere of the brain, the hemisphere known for being dominant and essential, was losing the race. Most times not even finishing, and sometimes having issues even creating a 2x2 two two formation with the blocks. On multiple runs, the right hand left the blocks in the 3x1 formation, with the fourth block under or above one of the three in a straight line, or simply putting them all in a 4x1 line. This was truly impressive, but not fully unbelievable. The right hemisphere of the brain has been proven time and time again to be the powerhouse for complex puzzles. This simply provided further confirmation of someone else's previous science. But then the second part of the experiment had its time to shine. This time, instead of giving each hand the same image to recreate using the Coe's blocks, the hands were given their own puzzles separately at separate times. Again, no restraints to vision or the non-testing hand. The trials began with the right hand, and during the first run, something became glaringly clear. The left hand, or the right hemisphere of the brain, wanted to help. Or so it seemed initially. The left hand literally would go in without WJ controlling it and fix any issues that the right hand was making with the pattern. Whoa. Both WJ and Gazanago were shocked. WJ was not only getting furious that his body was acting completely without his control, he was also beginning to get a little frightened. The next step was to have WJ sit on his left hand and continue the trial. This helped, but still made the task difficult. When the trial was switched to the left hand, the men did not see the same response from the right hand. The left hemisphere of the brain behaved and allowed the right hemisphere to do its task. The last part of this experiment involved cooperative teamwork between the two hemispheres of the brain to recreate a slightly harder pattern made out of 16 blocks in a 4x4 formation. Want to guess what happened? That's right, the two hands fought over dominant control of the recreation. They both either changed what the other had just done by way of orientation of a block or by removing a recently placed block from the formation altogether. The hands were even witnessed pushing the other one out of the way, and WJ was growing very much frustrated by the situation. Eventually, this got better. In fact, all the reactions from both hemispheres became better throughout all trials with repetition. These trials acted as exercises of the brain's neurological abilities, and sooner rather than later, WJ was functioning during the trials as if the surgery had never happened, and the hemispheres were working again as one just not nearly as good as a fully connected and undamaged brain should. Due to saving time, I chose to skip the explanation on this and will simply refer to you to research the somatosensory system and how it applies to helping damaged brains recover simple motor skills by using the somatosensory senses and expanding on internal and external stimuli as well as where the person's body is perceived by these stimuli in physical space. 
I would just like to point one thing out about the Somano sensory system so it's not confused as a solution to the next portion's problem. And that is that this particular system relies on the sense of touch as its primary source of information gathering. And with such info, we can make a decent guess to the answer of a problem. Good. Let's move on. After the trials with W.J. at Caltech, another patient of the sectioning of the corpus callosum procedure, would shine light on new and deeper information about the two brains and communication between the two, post-severance. Hugh Patient DR In the 1980s, a woman referred to as DR would be one of Gazanica's first subjects in his new digs at Dartmouth. Right from the get-go, DR showed critical new information about the relationship between the hemispheres of the brain and how even though they can sometimes argue like siblings about what the correct formation of colored blocks is, they can also act like a team when it comes to problems when one or the other lacks all or some of the abilities to solve said problem. The first example of this was with a similar screen setup like the early experiment with the shapes flashing on different sides of the screen, aiming to specifically target one hemisphere at a time. Same concept, but this time instead of shapes, it was a number, 1 through 9. Targeting the left hemisphere with the right eye, the response was fast, and as normal as you would expect a reaction to be. The left eye was similar, but also noticeably different. Although the response was quick, it seemed that as the higher a number was that was flashed to the left eye for the right hemisphere, the longer it took to respond. In fact, during observation of this new obstacle, it was found that the time measured between each increasing number was almost exactly the same. What I mean is that if we use the example saying that, let's say, the difference in the time it takes for the patient to recognize number two compared to number one was exactly a half of a second, by following that pattern, the difference between recognizing the number 3 and 2 was an additional half of a second. Then the difference between 3 and 1 would be a whole second. So the time that the patient would take to recognize the number 9, it would have been 4 whole seconds before the patient would respond with their answer. This was incredible and only meant one thing. The two separate hemispheres of the brain were communicating when the left eye was looking at the number on the screen for the right hemisphere. But how was it communicating when it saw its left hemisphere so that the patient could speak the answer? The answer turned out to be head nods. Each half second was represented by the slightest of head nods. Now, this may not sound like it, but this was huge. This meant that the right hemisphere was taking in information from the left eye, non-verbally communicating to the left hemisphere by way of a Morse code of sorts, without the left hemisphere recognizing that their body was moving at all, or that there was any communication going on between the hemispheres. The right hemisphere was using a tool. It was recognizing the lack of ability to communicate. It was adapting to solve a problem by way of using the patient's body as a tool to have its voice heard. In response, his immediate goal was to further the research with the numbers by eliminating the numbers portion and replacing it with something that could not be counted. The purpose was to try and take away the option for the hemispheres to communicate using the head nods. The first trial began with Gazaniga asking DR to hold out her hands parallel to the ground and in front of her body while holding a fist. The command was then given to make a hitchhiking signal, this of course being the symbol thumbs up. The left hemisphere reacted to the command quickly and correctly as predicted. Then the command was given to do the same with the left hand. The same quickness was witnessed with the correct answer. The next part of the trial was to swap the order of hands performing a new command. 
The OK signal was requested to be performed by the left hand first. The OK signal being the hand opened up with only the pointer and thumb touching tips. The left hand could not perform this task. The hand motioned like it wanted to try, but, but had not the slightest clue what to do. When the command was given to the right hand, though, the task was completed quickly and correctly without hesitation. Then, when re-asking the left hand to do the signal, it acted quickly and correctly after the right hand had already performed a correct answer. This meant that the left eye was being used by the right hemisphere to mimic the actions of the right hand to get the correct answer. The next step was simple. He added a blindfold to DR and asked her to perform another signal with her left hand first. Again, unable to perform the task, he moved on to request the same from the right hand who performed it fast and correctly. Then when he followed up with requesting the left hand to do the signal, the left hand remained unable to do what it was requested. The right hemisphere was no longer getting the visual inputs to cheat its way to victory. After the DR trials had begun, two new patients were discovered and willing to be part of these trials. NG was a bright young woman of unknown age, and LB was a 12-year-old boy who would become the youngest to ever be studied as a split-brain patient. Both patients were incredibly bright and suffered from severe epileptic episodes prior to the surgery. Both also had incredibly unharmed right hemispheres of the brain that were not seen in previous patients due to years of repetitive life-threatening epileptic events. These two would be the first to really tell the world something about what really goes on in everyone's head. NG's first trial was an advanced one compared to prior trials and focused almost exclusively with the right hemisphere, as it was well proven that the left hemisphere was typically normal for the most part in patients' post-surgery life. The real questions were with the right hemisphere, and with these trials, the true mysteries of our mind finally found an opportunity to unravel. From this point on, Dr. Roger Sperry, a, a very close friend and mentor to Michael Kazaniga, would insert himself into Kazaniga's work and provide the boost that the real strangers need to shine. Now, to be clear, Roger Sperry, working parallel with Michael Kazaniga, had his own trials going on, and I, I highly recommend you guys go and check those out because those are amazing. I, for this particular subject, I chose to, to follow Michael Kazaniga because I really enjoyed his book. Uh, but in order for time, I kind of cut out Roger Sperry. But by all means, check his stuff out. Really good quality trials ran by that uh, Dr. Roger Sperry. The trials began with NG and the search for personality in the right hemisphere of the brain. NG was set up like the subjects before her, with a dot in the middle of the screen. This first test was one that was set up more as a warm-up before the real personality trial began, but much like others, it became yet another very important find. On each side of the dot, a word would flash to a particular eye, which would again in turn grasp the attention of the opposite hemisphere of the brain. On each side of NG, there were random objects placed that matched the words that would be flashed on the screen. The task was simple. Read the word aloud, and with the same side hand, search for the object matching the word without looking at the group of objects. The first word, up, was flashed to the right eye. Remember, that's the left hemisphere. And with NG's right hand, she was able to find the styrofoam cup in a respectable amount of time. The next word was ball, and it was being flashed to the left eye, or the right hemisphere. NG simply stared and never said the word out loud. But her left hand found the ball and was holding it. 
Kazaniga asked her to read the word, and she replied that there was no word to read. Then he followed up the question, then what are you holding in your hand? To which NG replied, surprisingly, that well, she she didn't know. She knew there was something, she just didn't know. She actually seemed really shocked that there was anything in her hand, like it had just snuck in there. When given the permission to look at her hand, NG was visually shocked to see that she was holding a ball. But then she did something strange. She created a nonchalant reaction to the situation and simply said that she was always a fan of baseball. Now, for those of you that know how the brain works, this is a very natural reaction of the brain when it has a lack of information. It kind of just fills in the gaps. And this is actually one of the issues that we as researchers and Fortean subjects actually have to deal with quite a bit. This is something that we have to keep in mind when we're dealing with things such as Bigfoot. More on that later. Now, Xanaga had evidence of what we know as lizard brain being witnessed in NG. Many people believe that lizard brain is something that we unknowingly do in reaction to witnessing an extreme event, which is true. But the broader definition, as defined by Wiktionary.com, is, quote, any part of a person's psyche or personality dominated by instinct or impulse rather than rational thought. You would expect NG to be shocked or possibly even scared that she was completely unaware of the fact that her left hand reached for something matching the description of word that she didn't see without her even noticing. But instead, her left brain attempted to explain it as something non-threatening with a simple statement that failed to capture the magnitude of the act or any emotion behind her findings. This led nicely into the main part of the trial. This time, NG was sitting in front of the same screen. And as a picture of something popped up, she was instructed to say what it was she was seeing. As predicted, anything that appeared before the right eye was quickly met with the correct response. And as predicted, the object being shown to the left eye was met with nothing but a blank stare and no verbal response until a picture was flashed on the screen in order to induce a reaction by NG's nonverbal right brain. This picture was a lewd picture of a woman, and it flashed on the screen, and Gazaniga asked her what she saw. She replied, nothing. But then she smiled, and the smile turned into a smirk, which turned into a sort of giggle or chuckle. In response, Gazaniga asked her why she was laughing, and NG's response was that she thought the screen in front of her was a funny contraption. He had successfully communicated with the right brain without the left brain noticing. The response of her chuckle was a direct response to a newly created inside joke between Kazaniga and NG's other consciousness. During these trials, there were many other experiments being performed with animals in the attempt to understand more about each side of the brain and what made each hemisphere an individual consciousness. The first trial I thought was important to mention was one that Kazaniga had performed on chimps with a graduate student from NYU by the name of Alan Gibson. This particular trial was determined if the two hemispheres had individual traits, and in this experiment, they focused on tastes. The hypothalamus is the part of the brain that determines our eating behaviors. Reference to taste, texture, quantity are all examples of our hypothalamus's influences in your desire for food, among other things such as body temperature, heart rate, and your mood. Located at the base of the brain, the experiment was to damage the left side of the hypothalamus and watch for changes in the chimp's habits with food. Sure enough, it turns out that the right hemisphere did in fact favor food that were not typically favored by the animal prior to the experiment. A trial with another graduate student by the name of J.D. Johnson was staged to determine if the chimp's right hemisphere would show another personality trait, 
jealousy. The task was to push a button with its right hand when seeing the number one on the screen. The only other option was the number zero, which would not give a tasty reward. No blindfold was used so that the right hemisphere would witness the test. The chimp learned to push the button every time the number one was on the screen, and in return the treat would be forfeited over as a reward to the left hemisphere. If it had pressed the button during a zero, there would be no treat. The twist was that the chimp had to get two correct answers in order to get that treat. This was inserted into the test to teach the chimp that pushing the button on a zero would have a negative effect instead of a neutral one, ultimately discouraging the act of pressing the button on zero. The task went on for a while, and after an undisclosed amount of time, an eye patch was placed over the right eye, removing the left hemisphere from the game, leaving the right hemisphere the only active participant of the next task. The button was then switched over to the left hand, and the game began. But this time, no treat was given for what was perceived by the chimp as a correct answer and in response the chimp got angry. The chimp ultimately gave up and even trying without realizing that if it had just pressed the button during a zero, it would have then realized that the rules of the game had slightly changed. The game was then given back to the left hemisphere and the flow of treats continued. Then, the left hand slapped the right hand, and jealousy had been discovered in the separate hemisphere. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the events of the last test still fresh in his mind, Gazaniga administered another interesting test in the trials on patient NG in Santa Barbara, California. So NG was given a similar test with ones and zeros, which rewarded NG with either the word right or wrong, depending on if she got the answer correct or not. Beyond the change in the reward, the only other difference was that the right hemisphere was not allowed to see the game being played. Why? Because instead of looking for jealousy, this time they were looking for the ability to learn separately from the left hemisphere. So the left eye was covered with an eye patch and the right eye was left to learn the same game as the chimp. Click the button when the one flashed and NG's left hemisphere was rewarded with the word correct flashing on the screen. Click the button during a zero and she was admonished with the word wrong. Of course, it did not take very long for NG to catch on to this game and so it quickly became time for the right hemisphere to step up to the plate. But this time, the right hemisphere was only rewarded with the word correct when shown the number zero. This, of course, did not take long either. The next task was to remove the eye patch altogether and flash different numbers on each far side of the screen at the same time so that only the peripherals were targeted, ultimately leaving no chance for the other eye to see what was going on on the other hemisphere's side. NG was given a button in both hands, and the test was activated. Both hemispheres began successfully playing their own games, just as they did when they were playing with the other eye blindfolded. The next step was to flash the numbers at separate intervals and watch to see if both hemispheres would continue playing their own games when not being asked to do so at the same time. 
This was done by showing one on both sides of the screen. The right hand would push the button and the left hand would not. Both sides would show the word correct. This repeated with ones and zeros and the proof that the two sides of the brain can learn completely separate from each other and perform separate tasks independently from each other was proven to be true. This was monumental. We had just proven that there is another consciousness. Like in many different studies throughout history, there are subjects or data points referred to as outliers. In the case of patient P.S., a teenage boy from Vermont, an outlier in the studies of split brains would finally appear. This was not a typical outlier instead of being a typical, unimportant, useless data point caused by many different possible variables, P.S. had an exceptionally smart right hemisphere. His right hemisphere was so smart that not only could he see a printed noun such as apple with his left eye or right hemisphere and point out a picture of the word, but he can also read a command and act it out. This has never been done before and led to one of the most incredible discoveries in the history of neuroscience. After removing the left hemisphere from the conversation, the right hemisphere was given Scrabble letter blocks. It was soon found that the silent, weaker, dumber, less advanced right hemisphere was not that at all. Silent, yes, but dumb, weak, less advanced, absolutely not. The right hemisphere would spell out answers with immaculate spelling. The right hemisphere knew the name of the person that it shared with the left hemisphere, but past that one question, all answers were completely different from the answers given by the left hemisphere, therefore showing that each hemisphere and the consciousness associated with them showed individuality. Michael Gazaniga coined a term now used to describe a phenomenon in which the left hemisphere unknowingly attempts to interpret the emotions, actions, and reactions the stimuli targeted to the right hemisphere. Gazaniga referred to this as the quote-unquote interpreter, and this was in reaction to a plethora of different observations made during certain tests. One such test was to give the right hemisphere of PS a command such as stand up. PS would then stand up, and when asked why he stood up, he asked his left hemisphere would interpret the action by saying that he felt like stretching. Another such test was given to a female patient referred to as VP, in which she was shown a dramatic scene in which a man was pushed into a fire to only her right hemisphere. In response to her right hemisphere acting out to the shocking footage, VP began sweating, breathing heavier, and was unable to stand still. When asked what was wrong, she replied, I know I like Dr. Kazaniga, but right now, I am very scared of him. The superstar right brain of PS had one more really big discovery up its sleeve. Kazaniga and his undergrads discovered just nearly two years after PS's colossum section surgery that the right hemisphere was discovering the power of speech. The right hemisphere began by giving simple stuttered yes-no answers but soon it evolved into confident one-word answers to even complex questions. This was discovered during a trial in which two separate objects were shown to each hemisphere. When asked what they were, they were surprised at the answer of orange, followed immediately by the word apple. After a picture of an apple was shown to the verbal left hemisphere, and an orange was shown to the nonverbal right hemisphere. This test was then repeated multiple times as an exercise of sorts 
and eventually whatever was shown to the right hemisphere was confidently vocalized by the right brain. This would prove true in other patients as well, but much, much slower than in PS. One thing that seemed to catch PS up when it came to answering was a question, are the images the same? This question was always met with an answer of, I don't know, even after each hemisphere answered their individual image correctly. This proved that there was still no communication happening between the hemispheres by way of neurons and the sectioning was still present. Throughout the years, there have been many that have stepped up to the plate to dismiss the split brain theory of there being two separate intelligent consciousnesses in every brain. I mean, let's be honest, it, it is extremely unsettling to think that there could possibly be a second you inside of your head. Someone that you have never met that just goes along for the ride day in and day out. Someone who sees what you do and knows your reasoning behind them. Donald and Valerie McKay were two of such that wished to dismiss the claims of Gazanaga, Sperry, and many others associated with the massive study that spanned decades. They would seemingly begin the rebuttals by the scientific community with an article on their findings in the well-known scientific journal, Nature. Among many others, another Nature article by an up-and-coming neuropsychologist named Justine Sargent reiterated her study with J.W. in which she studied the reaction time between hemispheres in the brain and acknowledging if the letter being shown was a consonant or a vowel. I read through a few articles about these journal entries, and from what I can see, both parties had decent points, but ultimately it was Gazaniga's response to these articles that I personally liked the most. He explained that what these and many other published articles failed to understand was that through their decades of research in the subject, the discovery of minute tips that one side of the brain will give to the other in order to help out, such as the head nod mentioned earlier. The explanation went further by comparing the two hemispheres of the brain to that of a long-term friendship or partnership. On most occasions, counterparts will be able to tell you what their friend or partner is thinking before they say anything. Now add that the two hemispheres have been working together towards one goal since the day that they were born. Is it really hard to believe that one hemisphere couldn't predict in some way what their counter-hemisphere is thinking or going to do? With all said and done, there remains great evidence that there are in fact two different consciousnesses living within every whole brain. Dr. Roger Wolcott Sperry would go on to be the Nobel Prize recipient for Physiology and Medicine in 1981 for his incredible work and discoveries in split-brain research. If you find this to be an interesting topic, I recommend taking your own deep dive into the work that has been done with split-brain patients for decades. There are many sources on this subject, and the evidence does in fact weigh heavily towards us sharing our mind with a roommate that we have never met. So what do you think, travelers? I'll leave you here to think about that. Until next time. When we crack open our next case from the archives of the Infinite Rabbit Hole. See you guys.